Hey, welcome to Common Ground Church Bloberg. We are so delighted that you've joined us. We're a church committed to filling our hearts and our world with the life of Jesus. We do this by pursuing His presence, by being formed into His image, and then by loving the world on the mission He's called us to. Hey, if you've got any further questions about who we are or what we're up to, why don't you check out our website at cgbloberg.co.za. Enjoy the message. We trust it'll serve you in your journey of finding and following Jesus. Good morning, everybody. Again, my name's Jason. The scripture reading this morning is from 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 3 to 11. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp, and it, uh, they left the camp, and it was, thank you, sir, Rog, tag team, as it was, and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold and clothes, and went off and hid them. They returned, sorry, guys, They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the Aramean camp and not a man was there. Not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news, and it was reported within the palace. Thanks, Jason. Good morning. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture. 2 Kings 7, um, in some theologians' minds, is one of those passages of Scripture that screams the gospel hundreds of years before the gospel actually arrived. Now, you might be going, what is going on? There's lepers, they've arrived out, uh, you know, they've, they've gone to a different place, they've got a, the spoils of some sort of war that never happened. Let me give you a little bit of context. What you've got here is these four lepers who are outside of the city. It's not the city of Jerusalem, it's the city of Samaria. We're in northern Israel. It's a couple of hundred years before Jesus. Um, so you're now going back 2,500 odd years, maybe more, and you've got um, an interesting scenario. Lepers were put outside of the city, they were not welcome, they were seen as unclean. And what is more tragic is that this city is under siege. So a city under siege means that the army surrounds them and they simply say, no food will come in or come out. 
It's the longest, most painful form of torture imaginable. Nothing could be worse than being in a city and slowly but surely your resources are diminishing. They are resorting to cannibalism. A couple of verses earlier, some mothers are arguing about the fact that one had agreed that they would slaughter their one child, then the next day they would do it to the other child, and the mother never agreed to the, the, the commitment that she made. And now she's going to the king, and the king is in a state because he's seen what's going on. The city is devastated. And there's these four lepers who are sent outside the city. And they're basically reasoning, going, we've got a predicament going on here. We're not allowed in the city because we're lepers, and that's the law. But to be honest, it's not much better in there anyway. They're all dying, and there's no food anyway. And so they have this interesting thing. There is the Sumerian, uh, the, the, the Aramean camp, the enemy, who is uh, kind of set up a couple of, I don't know, kilometers away, who's looking in over the city, making sure that no food comes in and no food comes out, and essentially watching as this city dies a slow and tragic death. And these guys begin to reason. They begin to think. And I wonder if this is where the whole term, damned if we do, damned if we don't, comes from. Because that's exactly their thinking. They go, if we, tr if we stay here, we die. There's no food, we die. We're not going to get anything here. There's no food in the city. Nobody's throwing anything out over. They're, they're resorting to some terrible means to just stay alive inside. There's nothing for us on the edge of the city wall. So what about this? If there's a, a, a chance of us surviving, the highest chance of our survival is if we just walk towards the enemy. <laughs> we go towards them, and we just plead mercy. We just say, we surrender. Is there any chance that you would take us in and just give us some food. There's nothing for us to lose. And so one of the most wonderful pieces of logic and reason in the Old Testament is expressed by these four lepers where they go, no point staying here, let's go and risk dying there. At least there's a chance we get some food on that side. Sound wise? I think so. And so they do it. And what happens is an amazing turn of events. They get there. And the enemy and the army that they expected to be there have fled. And they arrive in a camp that is just laden with everything their wildest dreams were imagining. As they lay out looking down at their rib cages that were poking out and their bones that were basically exposed everywhere and their stomachs that were grumbling and growling for hunger as they looked up at the stars at night and went, where are we ever going to get food from? Suddenly they're in this enemy camp and it is just laden with food and treasures and resources and they gorge themselves. They do everything they can to fill their stomachs as they go, how did this possibly happen? It's too good to be true. Let me turn the corner a little bit because what I want to talk primarily but not only about is this concept of evangelism or sharing our faith or sharing the gospel with people. Now, some of you are going, what does this story have to do with it? You'll see soon. 
We did a survey, and thank you to those of you. Pat yourself on the back if you did the survey. About 80-odd people, uh, which I think was really great, did the survey, and um, we asked all kinds of questions. One of the questions we asked was, what are some of the barriers to you sharing your faith? What gets between you telling your family member or your colleague about the message of Jesus or maybe inviting them to church? These were some of your answers. Um, The big answer, if you look below, the top answer was, what is the barrier to evangelism? None. Most of you said, actually, we don't mind, and we're quite happy to share our faith with people. So, hooray, give your friend a thumbs up. That's pretty cool. Honorable mentions, in terms of some of the things that you did mention, were a fear of ridicule or awkwardness. A bunch of people said, I just don't like the feeling of sharing something that my friend or family member might think just is stupid, and I don't like feeling stupid or awkward. Um, The other one was busyness. I'm just so busy, I just don't get to it. I just don't get to those invitations. I don't get to build those relationships. And then the other fairly big one was, well, I'm not sure how to answer those tough questions, and I'm scared if somebody puts me on the spot and says, well, what about evolution? What about where the world came from? Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't want that stuff. And so uh, that is a barrier to uh, sharing our faith all valid and all really good. And I want to just commend us that we're a church on a journey and we're not a perfect group of people who know how to do this thing perfectly. And uh, that's why this story is so helpful. But what I will suggest to you today is that we are all evangelists. We're all evangelists. By nature, we are all good at sharing good news. How do you know that a person went to a fancy private school? They tell you. How do you know that somebody goes to CrossFit? They tell you, don't they, Tawanda? How do you know that somebody ran a marathon? They tell you the good news. People love stuff, and when they love it, even as hard as they try to discipline themselves from not sharing this epic thing that they've participated in, they share it. How do you know somebody loves coffee or travel? It's because they tell you. So what is... This have to do with evangelism. Well, I think all of us have this heart to share what's good in our lives. And what happens here is there's basically this, this journey towards these four lepers becoming some really effective evangelists. And uh, there's three parts to it. And I want to look through this story and just share these three parts of how this Jesus-style evangelism was birthed many, many years before Jesus arrived on the scene, and how the gospel is so thread, so woven through this story. So let's look at it. Firstly, verses 3 and 4, you'll see that there is a kind of background that needs to happen if the gospel is going to be expressed. Verses 3 and 4, it says this, Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine's there, if we, and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. How cool is that? They've worked this thing out so well. So let's go surrender. So, so what's the background to this, this story? Well, the background is very deep need. There is a deep need within them to survive. 
they realize that they are dead unless they get life. The deepest and most important background part of this story is that there is deep need. One of the crises or crises of our society is our unwillingness to accept that there is deep need, that we actually do need some saving. One of the hardest things for our generation is to understand that actually we do need help. And I understand it because we are peppered with messages that fly at us from every angle. Just uh, at three days ago on Cape Talk, 11.45 I think it was, I switched on and this lady says, you just need to make sure that you believe in yourself and you stay positive like Thomas Edison's mother and you can do anything. Just believe. That's the message, Right. Don't accept need, you just need to stay positive and bring positive vibes to the world and you can do anything. That's how you will get your salvation. But here, we see the opposite. It's a deep crisis of need that they're in. And they acknowledge something so important that every human being needs to come to at some stage in their life. That actually, unless I get some outside help, my spiritual reality is a kind of death. You see, we live in a world that so often wants to say, you can do it. You can pull this off. You've got what it takes. You will be able to sort yourself out. You don't have need. You just got to discover it within yourself. Just read the right books. I looked at the two uh, top-selling books in the last couple of years that are kind of the, in the self-help category. And uh, this is going to wake you up if you're falling asleep. The first uh, book, I've scratched out the title because I don't want you to know what it says. The Subtle Art of Not Giving a dot, dot, dot. Yes, in church. Can you believe it? And the other one, Atomic Habits. These have been the top-selling New York bestsellers for a number of years around trying to help you and I live better lives. The, uh, the, the sort of uh, strap line underneath the, the subtle art says the counterintuitive approach to living a good life. You want to live a good life? Then you need to learn this subtle art. Everything will be sorted. What the Bible describes as salvation, you will get it if you just learn to not give a dot. That's how you can do it. And, and, but, but, but James Clear, God bless him, he says, actually, there's a better way. Here's how you can get saved. You can find that just tiny habits, tiny little changes will bring about remarkable results. You guys are starting to wonder if you should rather go to read that book. I'm such a good salesman. But here's what's interesting about our society, is that our society is so thoroughly Christianized. For the last 1,500 years, up to 2,000 years, increasingly so in our Western society, we have eaten and drunk, we have had embedded in us the concepts of the Christian gospel, the concepts of the Bible. And so when Mark Manson teaches us the subtle art of not giving a damn about stuff, what he's really saying is, I want to give you a teaching that's come out of the Bible. I'm going to saw off the limb, and I'm going to give you the arm. And I'm going to tell you that if you can stitch that onto your life, you will be happy. You will give, get the life that you want. You see, what in so many ways he's doing is he's taking the teaching of Jesus, which says that we should live before the audience of God, caring less about what people think about us. Or he's taking it from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul writes, and he says, I care very little about what you think. It's God who is my judge. 
This isn't a new teaching. This teaching's been on for going for a long time. It's Jesus who brought it into the, into the world. But what's happened is he's taken and he said, I will offer you salvation at the price of a book. You can have it if you want it. And James Clear says, you know what you could do is you could follow the habits of Jesus Christ that were made famous by the monks throughout the, the medieval times who learned that actually to live a disciplined life is to live the blessed life. And you can do what the church have been teaching for so long and you will live the life with remarkable results. Would you like that? Here's the thing. All you need to do is chop off the arm of the gospel and try strap it onto yourself. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that you don't acknowledge the biggest problem. The biggest problem is what these four lepers realized, is that they were dead if they didn't get some outside help. What Mark Manson and James Clear are saying is, you can find the life inside of yourself. You don't have any need. You just got to discover how to do it better. But actually what the gospel says in Ephesians 2 verse 1 says that you and I are dead or were dead in our transgressions and sins. That actually there's no life for the soul. There's no ability to make sense of some of these habits unless you have a new heart that has been given to you. In the words of Jesus, unless you are born again by the Holy Spirit, you need a new birth. You need to leave the camp. You need to surrender and you need to go to the other side and you need to receive life. This is not something you will discover in yourself. It is, it is a discovery that you will make as you surrender yourself to God's purposes by faith. It's a beautiful thing. But we need to realize that we have need that we can't just strap on a teaching from here and a teaching from there and think that we will get new hearts. No, no, no. It's God who wants to use the same body but give us a new heart, spiritually speaking. He doesn't want us to strap on a new teaching. He wants us to have a new internal change, and then he will use the same body parts he's given us to be a people who look like Jesus, who are renewed from the inside out. No bad-mouthing these books. I'm sure they've got a lot of good stuff to teach. The question is, is how do you get the energy? What is your source to live this out? Unfortunately, if you're going to try to do one of these, you're going to, without the strength of the gospel, you're going to cost yourself in another area of life. It's impossible to pull it all off. You can read all the self-help books in the, in the, the, the exclusive books, but unless you have a new heart and you follow Jesus, help through you won't be able to pull this off. So the background to this story is deep need, is an acknowledgement that actually I'm dead without new help. I'm dead without the life of God coming towards me. I am pretending to be alive. I may look like I'm breathing and eating and sleeping, but God wants to give me spiritual vitality. He wants to give me an internal change. And that's what these guys began to understand. So that's the background. What's the next thing that, that Jesus or that we can learn about this kind of evangelism is that secondly, the good news is often better than expected for those who receive it. There's a kind of surprise. The good news is often better than expected. Look at verse 5. It says, At dusk they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. 
For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. Can you imagine this scene? Four desperate lepers crawling towards their death with the strength that they've got left to go to surrender to an enemy army. And as they get closer, and as their fear begins to grow at the thought of dying at the hands of brutal, ruthless Arameans, what they find is that the enemy has gone and that there's nothing there except a camp filled with supplies except that they have so much provision that they don't even know what to do with themselves. Can you imagine the feeling, the the turn of events? Have you ever had a turn of events in your life where it seemed like the chips were so down and the next day you wake up and you go, how did that happen? That's what it felt like when Nikki said yes to me when I started dating her. What could possibly be so good? This This is the gospel version of that that actually something so glorious could happen to people so undeserving. Just imagine that. That's the story of the gospel. The good news is that the accusations and the guilt that we expect on the other side of going towards God would fly at us. The expectation for so many people when it comes to the story of God or church or the gospel is that when I get there, if I believe in Jesus... How could I deal with the fact that I feel so rubbish about myself? I'm so guilty. I know how bigoted the church is. They're going to judge me, surely. God is going to to smite me. I know what I've done. I don't deserve love. I don't deserve mercy. I'm not that kind of person. There's nothing in me that deserves it. But these guys walk across And instead of an accusing military force that say, you are part of that Jewish crew, you must die. Instead, they arrive to the enemy having gone. That's the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, Jesus took on the enemy on the cross and he defeated the powers of sin and darkness. That's the cross. When the sky went dark and Jesus said, Tedelestai, it is finished. What was happening was that the war against darkness and sin and evil was completed. He had won the victory. Astoundingly, the victory was won through a remarkable act of love. And so what happens there is that the enemy is defeated. And when one puts their faith in Jesus and they arrive into God's uh, world, they realize that God is not there accusing, pointing fingers, saying, I know what you did with your early years. I know how you behaved. I know the thoughts that you're thinking even now. In fact, when they arrive, there is no accuser at all. When they arrive into the camp, there is just provision and life, and resourcing that they could have never imagined. Dead men who had no power to negotiate are suddenly made alive with new resourcing. That's the story of the gospel. The first surprise is that there was no enemy. The second surprise is that there's just this radical provision. In verse 8, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and ate and drank. 
Can you imagine how dry their gullets felt? Can you imagine how starving they were? And suddenly they put a fresh loaf of bread or a deliciously fresh uh, kind of cool water that they find in the tent. Everything would have tasted so sweet. So many people, when they think about following Jesus, maybe you think back to your early days. Maybe you negotiated with God. You said, God, if I follow you, I, I, I need to make sure that you won't take this away or you won't take that away. That's what we do. We bargain with God. We try to make a deal. What these guys did is they put down their bargaining abilities because what they realized was that what God had for them was far better than what they were trying to hold on to. And so often in the Christian life, and even as we consider following Jesus, we think, if I could just hold on to this, I, I could never imagine not having this thing. But as we realize that and surrender, we discover that God has supplies, He has provision that is far more profound than the stuff that we've been holding on to. And maybe even as a follower of Jesus, you're still holding on to stuff. And you're going, I just don't, I don't know if I can trust you with this thing. There's provision for the affections and the feelings and the emotions. There's peace, there's joy, there's exuberance, there's release, there's liveliness, there's, there's an uplifting that the Spirit of God gives us as we say yes to Him. There's abundant blessing for the activities of life. God has a purpose. He, he gives us something new to live for. There's provision of, uh, of, of fellowship and friendship. There's people who, who, who feel just lonely. One of the wonders of the story of the gospel is that God puts the lonely in families. He, he reconnects us to meaningful relationships. Hey, there's so, much of, uh, so many surprises in the gospel the tricky thing is to start and realize we're needy, and we have a need, and we need to acknowledge our need, and then we need to walk towards God and surrender and say, here. Hey, it doesn't stop there. The, the other part of the surprise is that they get these amazing gifts. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. <laughs> they returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. I uh, actually haven't read far enough to know, but I don't think it's recorded what happened to the stuff they hid. Some of you archaeologists are starting to dream. Maybe you could go digging in the Middle East. But they hid the stuff. They kept it aside. But, but what's amazing is that there were some amazing gifts that were given to them. So often we think of the gospel like a really distasteful medication. You know, It's like, it's bad tasting, but I know it's good for me. You know, So I better take it. Just face it. But actually, that's not the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel is not about like, you know, chemotherapy. It's really miserable, but at least it might get rid of the cancer. The story of the gospel is the good news that God in Jesus Christ came to reconcile us to himself so that we could be provided for relationally, emotionally, spiritually, in every way we could imagine, but also that there are surprise gifts of his beautiful love and his amazing grace, that we are free and clean of our consciences that would be guilty before God and mankind. And he comes in his beautiful mercy, and he says, come to me. The accuser has finished his work. I've dealt with him. You're free. You can put your shoulders back. You can live in the world loved by God. It is not tasteless, terrible mooty that's going to kind of just hopefully keep you alive. No, no, it is the healing balm of the nations. 
It is the glory of God to call us back to life. He gives us a new heart. So there's this wonderful surprise. There's a wonderful background of neediness. But thirdly, we see that these privileges, these wonderful things that come to these four guys, actually involve kind of a new responsibility. Let's read in verse 9. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. Let me pause there. If you were to read the Greek Old Testament, this is where you would read the word, it is the gospel. The word gospel would be put into that line. This is a day of gospel, and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, We went into the Aramean camp, and no one was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news, and it was reported within the palace. This is a day of good news. There's an amazing sense of responsibility, actually. They suddenly realized, sure, we're four lepers. Sure, we've found something amazing, but we're still subjects of the king. It's quite an interesting dynamic. They, they, they probably could have thought, you, you know, we could stuff ourselves, we could jump on some horses, and we could run. But you know what? That's probably not going to do us any good. We're, we're, we're still obligated to these people. We're still, uh, we're, we're still Jewish people. We still want to go back. We've got good news. The enemy has been defeated, and there are supplies that are going to liberate this whole city. Let's go back. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a moment to look at you in the eyes. If you're not a follower of Christ and you, you, you're kind of just looking in, I hope the first two points have, have at least got you thinking that maybe the gospel is better than you first thought. But if you're a follower of Christ, this is my moment to look you in the eyes and to ask you this question and to, and to I suppose, let these, line, these lines that they say really get deep into us. Because what they say is they say what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. They say that actually punishment could come upon them. Now, that's the wonder of the gospel, is God isn't going to punish you for not sharing your faith. But man, you may miss out radically if you don't do what the king has told you to do. You'd miss out tremendously if you didn't go to your scriptures and, and to read Matthew chapter 28 where the, the risen, resurrected Jesus who is now the true king of heaven and earth who comes to his disciples and he shares a universal uh, kind of teaching for all people where he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Essentially what Jesus is saying is he's saying, if you sit on your bums, and you pitch up at church, and you enjoy the wondrous gifts of friendship and fellowship and life of the Spirit and, and, and just the, the, the treasures of being a community, but you don't go with the message to people who don't yet have it, what you're doing is not right. Nine years ago, Nix and I and a small team of people said, let's go plant a church and one of the key things we said was not, let's go plant a church so that we could find as many Christians in the area who could fill up an auditorium so that they could also, you know, invite their Christian friends to fill up the auditorium ever more until we've got no space left. Of course not. That's not the gospel. 
The, the call of God on this church from the earliest days was let's go plant a small group of people who want to become like Jesus, yes, and who want to live in Jesus' presence, but want to love people who don't yet know about Jesus. Remember, this is a matter of life or death. This is about being dead in our transgressions. The, 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 the common thing that often is said in, in modern society is, do you know what, I, I'm a Christian, but they all look fine. They all seem quite happy. Honestly, that's what a lot of people say. They, they seem happy. And to you, I would say this. Firstly, we are the society who are probably the very best at disguising our unhappiness and looking really happy. I have sat in meetings with people whose lives are crumbling underneath them. And unbeknownst to me, that's happening. And they look so profoundly happy. <laughs> and I know how to, and I, I can't always discern the, the, the social media dynamics, but we all know that you can put up a very happy life. But the stats are true that mo we're one of the more unhappy generations in a long time. So the first thing to say is don't be deceived. Just because your friends look happy doesn't mean that they don't need the gospel. But much more important than that is that the gospel doesn't exist to make people happy. The gospel exists to cause dead people to come alive. The gospel exists to help us to be born again. And actually, the fact is, is that Christianity isn't one of the many religions that are really, you know, trying their best to make people good people and to make the world a better place. The Bible, uh, the, the Bible doesn't give us that space. And the gospel isn't uh, just one of the options. And we don't believe that Christianity is just a religion that kind of can be offered to people. And you can take one of the couple of decent religions out there. No, no, we, we, we bring a message that can reconcile humanity to God, that can reconcile individuals who, apart from God, are not alive. There's no other option out there that can also make good people. We're not trying to make good people. We're trying to help people to find God and to be reconciled and born again of the life of God. Maybe as you're listening, you're going, you know what, I don't think I'm born again. I just pitch up at church, and I come to church, and I do all this stuff, but I don't remember a day where I've been born again of the Spirit of God. Maybe today's your day to actually say, Jesus, I'm done with this whole like religious thing, and I've, I happen to land in Christianity. It could have been Islam. It could have been Hinduism. I landed here. No, no, you didn't land here. Nobody lands here. The Bible says that God calls you by His Spirit, and you're born again to life, and you know that you know that you know that you're alive to God, says the Scriptures, and you're dead to sin. That's what this whole thing is about. And that's why we do things like Alpha, not because it's kind of trying to help people just sort out their lives and maybe their marriage was on the rocks and now it could be better. Or maybe they, you know, they were really struggling with depression and they did Alpha and hooray, the depression's gone. That's cool. That is an after effect of the gospel. Marriages do get better and depression does sometimes go. But the main thing is that people find God and importantly, God finds people. And what's wonderful about evangelism is he uses lepers like you and I, who were dead and now are alive, who found this amazing discovery that <laughs> against all odds, when we surrendered our lives to Jesus, we didn't find an accusing enemy, we found a loving God. 
When we surrendered our lives to him, we discovered that he was kinder than he first thought, and we were more sinful than we ever imagined. And despite that, he just kept on loving us. And even when we had bad days, he kept on loving us. And when we had good days, he kept on loving us. And one of our acts of worship is that we get to just go back to the people around us and say, I can't believe I've kept this to myself, but I found something that you need to get. You need this more than anything else. I was dead and I've been made alive. And one of the tools to, to help you do that is this thing called Alpha. I'd love you to come check it out. It's just a, it's one night, Tuesday night. Come join me and uh, you, you can just see about the journey. There's a guy, Michael Mole, he's going to share his story. We're going to find out about a journey. And most importantly, we're going to eat a free meal. Hooray. And, uh, and it's really simple. And, and in your heart, you're saying, because I've got something I want for you. In your heart, you're going, God, help this person to understand that apart from Jesus, we're dead. We're not going for better lives. We're going for new hearts. And only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask the band, but I want you to stay focused with me now. I want you to stay spiritually alert with me now. Because I think as I've been speaking, some of you have been listening and you're going, I considered myself a kind of Christian in the sense that I pitch up at church and my parents have always told me I'm a Christian. And I think today, maybe as you've been listening, you've been going, I'm just Christian by name. I'm Christian because I was born into a Christian home. And what the Bible wants for you and I, what Jesus wants for you and I, is not to tick Christian when we get to fill out those forms. That makes no difference to anyone. Most importantly, it only probably makes us worse. Because what we end up doing is outside in. We try to be the right people, but we haven't got new hearts. We're trying to strap on the kind of gospel behavior, but we haven't got new gospel hearts. That's a, that's a scary thing. Maybe today as you've been listening, you realize I need a new heart. I need to walk over to the camp and discover that the enemy has been defeated and that my deepest fears as I move towards God might not be realized, but actually I might find an amazing surprise that he's better than I first thought and that there are treasures of love and life available to me that I could never have imagined. And here I am clinging on to the city wall as if somehow this thing will save me, but there's no life in it. Maybe today's your day to just walk towards Jesus, walk towards the loving, kind King. Maybe it's your opportunity to use the logic that the lepers used. Their logic was profound. If I stay here, I die. If I go there, maybe I get life. Just think about that for a moment. Have you ever read the gospel of Jesus? Any, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? What is your greatest risk in trusting that man? Just think about it for a moment. What is the, the worst thing that could happen if you trust a man who is so filled with love, who has so changed human history by introducing it to love? What is the worst thing that could happen to you? Or maybe he could change you into a person of love. Maybe you too could learn what it means to live the way he teaches us to live. Maybe you too could receive the grace he offers. Maybe you want to join those lepers and just walk out towards Jesus. Maybe you're holding on. Some of us, it's those addictions. You know you just, you're too afraid to try. 
And Jesus says, don't try to give up your addictions, just hold on to me. He's actually not interested in your smoking habit or your drinking or your drugs. He doesn't care about it. In the sense that he wants you to find him and those things will fall off. They just lose their allure. When God's love arrives, those silly little addictions, those things you think you can't live without, they just lose power. He's just that good. He's just that sweet. He's just that kind. Over time, you realize, oh, I don't need it. And His beautiful love just washes day in and day out. The scripture says, mercy's on you every morning. Let's pray. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And Some of us, we're returning maybe after a long meander away from Jesus. Some of us, it's a moment. Today, it's the first time you're saying, I'm, I'm, I need a new heart. I need to be born again of God's Spirit. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray with me. You can just pray under your breath. And you're going to pray a very simple prayer. And it's got to kind of be in your words and it's got to be in, owned by you. I'm, I'm not praying this prayer for you. I'm praying it with you but it's your heart of surrender. It's you saying yes to Jesus. You want to simply say, Jesus, here I am. You want to say, Jesus, I think I've been holding on to all the wrong things. But today, Jesus, I want to let go. But more importantly, I want to move towards you and trust. That amazing word, those lepers, we're going to surrender. And so Jesus, today I surrender to you because I trust that you can love me better than I can love myself. And I trust that you will do me good. And so I turn from my ways of self-serving and self-seeking. I turn from what the Bible describes as a life of sin and I turn towards trusting you. And I don't even know what all of that exactly means, except that I want to learn to follow you. And I want to know what it feels like to have that amazing grace wash over me. That I'm made clean and I'm made right. I'm given a new heart for free. Nothing I could earn, nothing I could deserve. You give me new life. And so today I just receive that new life as a gift, as a free gift. Thank you for that new life. Can I ask you to mark this moment? Maybe in your own words, pray some other prayers. Just keep, maybe my, one of my favorite things, just keep saying yes to Jesus. You're so kind. I trust you. Yes, Jesus. Thank you. Just growing. You're, you're, we're starting fellowship with God again. You're starting to learn what it means to have a conversation with God that's going to go on for the rest of your life yes Lord thank you for new life thank you for the gift of your salvation thank you for the gift of peace with God thank you that I'm not guilty anymore thank you that my conscience is cleared thank you that I'm alive thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives me new life I'm not afraid of what I let go of, but I'm excited about what I hold on to. I thank you for the journey of trusting you.
Jesus, as we move into a time of worshiping you, of celebrating your love, we just bring before you every friend and family member in our spheres who doesn't yet know you. God, it's our heart, not that we would force them into some faith journey that they don't want to be on, but that we would love them towards understanding that you are for them and we are for them. We lift up our Alpha journey, Jesus. We trust that it would be one where we would step out of our comfort zones if we need to, to invite, to bring people along, to say a simple yes to, to inviting and loving people. God, I pray that you would bless the facilitators who, who host each table. I pray that you would bless us as we, um, as a church, just all step out with our two or three or 10 invitations, whatever it may be. Most importantly, Jesus, I pray that you are the VIP in this journey, that you show yourself for the love and the kindness that you provide. Jesus, we worship you this morning because you are good. And because like those lepers, we received life we never knew we could. Thanks so much for joining us today. In Common Ground Bloberg, we prize seeing information turned into revelation. In other words, a deep heart understanding of what we've heard. Why don't you take a moment now to just prayerfully consider what information have you heard that you're trusting God to take deep into your heart and turn into revelation that'll shape your life. Have a fantastic day.